Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Please bear in mind that this episode features a discussion on sexual assault. There will be links to various organizations for support in the show notes. Hello and welcome to Millennial Love, a podcast from The Independent on everything to do with love, sexuality, identity and more. This week I was joined by author Louise O'Neill. For those who aren't familiar with Louise's work, she is the best-selling author of six books, including Asking For It, which tells the story of an 18-year-old girl in rural Ireland who was raped. She joined me on the show to discuss her latest novel, Idol, which is about a social media influencer forced to revisit an unresolved relationship from her past. Now that's quite a vague introduction of the book, so I'll go into a bit more detail now. So essentially the book is about a character called Samantha Miller, who is a social media influencer. And for her, she has these young fans who she calls her girls, who kind of follow her every move and want to be her essentially to them she's a sort of oracle telling them how to live their lives how to be happy how to find and honor their kind of truth so samantha's career is booming she's just reached three million followers she's got a new book that's come out that's gone straight to the top of bestseller list and in order to promote that book she writes an essay about the sexual experience that she had as a teenager with her female best friend lisa She's never told anyone about what happened with Lisa, but now she is telling the world in this essay. The essay then goes viral. And then after years of not speaking, Lisa gets in touch to say that she doesn't quite remember the story with Samantha, how Samantha remembers it. And actually her memory of that night is much darker and possibly not entirely consensual. And it becomes the story where it's Sam's word against Lisa's. So the whole book kind of examines whose story we believe and whose truth we believe. And the book kind of interrogates our relationship with these social media heroes and influencers and examines all these really important questions about consent and sexual violence. So I began by asking Louise about the character of Samantha and where she got the inspiration for her from, because to me, she's this sort of wellness guru that's sort of a mixture between Gwyneth Paltrow and then all of the kind of fitness influences we see online, but on a very kind of different scale. Um, and I used to be obsessed with, you know, these kind of health and fitness influences in the wellness world. So I wanted to hear a bit about where this idea for this character came from. I think that like millennial and Gen Z women in particular are very like seem to be like very drawn um towards like wellness and alter alternative therapies. And I think part of that is because you know we know that there is like a, a gender gap um in medicine and the way in which women's pain is often belittled and dismissed um in traditional medicine. So they sort of you know look to these other modalities um for help. But I also think that, you know, when, when you think about things like the law of attraction or when you think of, you know, like the idea of the secret, we're living in an incredibly 
<laughs> we're living in unprecedented times, as they say. You know, we're living in very uncertain times. Um, and I think this idea that we have more control um, or that we have, I, I don't know, that there's more responsibility or that we we are in charge of what is happening to us, I actually think is so just compelling and alluring um, for a lot of us because the world feels you know, increasingly out of control. Um, and for me, like I've been really into wellness um, since I was a teenager. Um, I was a very devout child, um, very religious. And I suppose like my relationship with Catholicism really soured um, when I was a teenager. And I was, you know, the sex abuse scandals, you know, that that broke. Um, and I think I learned about the Magdalene Laundries um, and the mother and baby institutions, you know, here in Ireland, where like the church and the Irish state conspired to demonize female sexuality and to control women's bodies. Um, and yeah, so I think that really, as I said, soured my relationship. But I suppose I, I just always had this yearning to believe that there was something greater than me that there, that there was more than this um and you know new age spirituality i think really just came at the exact right time i read a louise l hay book when i was 15 and it just came at just the right time um and you know so i've been reading a lot of these books for a very long time and when when you talk about it like uh, samantha miller if samantha miller had come to dublin 10 years ago i would have been sitting in the front row you know my hand raised like to ask her a question. Um, and it's really only been, I think, over the last few years that I suppose, and you know, particularly in 2020, um, when I think, you know, a lot of white people were really beginning to think about um, and interrogate um, their own white privilege. I suppose I, I started to look at like the wellness industry and all of these alternative therapies um, and think, Oh, you know, I've actually never really noticed before, but like the people who are the most successful in this space tend to be white blonde women. And, and isn't that interesting? And, you know, before you even got into, I suppose, conversations around cultural appropriation when it comes to yoga or ayahuasca, or, you know, any of these like modalities that I have been really interested in. Um, so, yes, I think I started to kind of look at that. And then the idea of this character who would be it's hugely successful but would really see that like who would really believe that her success was as a result of you know the american dream and her hard work and and her talent rather than ever questioning oh i wonder how my whiteness played into this or i wonder how my beauty played into this or i wonder how you know my wealth or my privilege um played into this and i just thought there was something so delicious um about about a character like that um and it, you know she felt like i could make her really complicated um and complex and sort of exasperating and toned down like you know all of the things that i think make a character like a really enticing prospect um for a writer to sink their teeth into mm. yeah i mean she is she is really fascinating and i think because she's not just that sort of vapid caricature social media influencer she's someone who who you know is kind of forced to confront her what she does and, and how she has benefited from it like you said and I think it's it's interesting because you do see it it does affect her but then there's also the kind of self-delusion mm -hmm. to it as well and and like 
you know, even just the idea of the girl, like my girls, it is so culty. It's so, yeah, yeah. so interesting. It's like my disciples. Yeah. Um, it's really, really interesting. But I'm the same. Like I would have been sat in the front, you know, at one of those talks as well. I think there's this kind of like constant pursuit for meaning. Yes. Um, and also, you know, I had an eating disorder for such a long time. And I think I, I wanted someone to cure me rather than having to actually, you know, do the hard work and go to therapy and do all that. I was like, I just want someone to sort of come along and be like, you know, here's a healing or here's a, you know, sort of a, a St. Paul on the road to Damascus type of overnight conversion. Um, and I suppose that is what, what, what people like Samantha are promising. It's like, abundance and love and joy and that it's just kind of within your grasp and you just have to believe hard enough and I think that is just so irresistible that that sort of that idea yeah totally and it's like you don't have to actually do any hard work yeah. to get there you can just buy a crystal and it's yours <laughs> yeah. I say that I have like about 20 crystals like in the back <laughs> I, I, do, I do too I, I'm still so into it you know yeah. I just got back got back from San Francisco a few weeks ago and it's a very kind of spiritual city there as well and I went to this kind of famous witch shop I had a like a witchy reading but I want to talk to you a bit more about social media because I know that you've had like personally really difficult experiences with it after the publications of some of your books specifically the one I mentioned in the intro asking for it how how did that well I mean tell us what happened and and how did that affect your relationship with those platforms with asking for it, I remember my dad was the first person to read it out of my family. And he said, you know, it's brilliant, but I, I really hope you're ready. And I said, what do you mean by that? And he said, there will be people reading this book and some people will realize that they've been raped and other people will realize that they've raped someone. And some of those people will not want to have had that realization. And you are the messenger. And I think before a book comes out, you know, you can't really absorb that. You can't really understand like what that will be like. And I think once it was released, like there was so much positive attention as well. You know, like there was like, you know, amazing reviews and, and people wanting to talk to me and, and offers of, you know, a, a documentary. And like, you know, and I think and, and, and more importantly, because all of that is lovely, but it's surface. But like more importantly, were the people who came to me and told me how much the book had meant to them the comfort that it had given them or people who had had a loved one who was raped and said that it taught them what not to say or you know or what would be helpful and and gave some sort of understanding of what their you know, their loved one might be going through but I think very quickly you know after that um you know after the documentary and, and then I got a, a a national column and there was a stage adaptation um of it produced I suppose then I began to see maybe the darker sides of that, um, you know, and a lot of it was on Twitter. Um, I mean, I heard that there were um, message boards like, you know, I, I, I was told people had said to me, I think you should get legal advice. And I said, I don't want to hear about that. I don't want to know about that. I'm not going to look at that. Um, so I thought I could kind of protect myself. But I think with Twitter, it felt like every time I opened the app, I would sort of be like holding my breath. And I started to feel really afraid. And the worst thing was, was that I think I was also kind of addicted to it. And it was funny because I'd had, a, after asking for it came out, like it was the most, like I, I was sort of enjoying success that I think I'd always dreamt of. 
And I almost had a nervous breakdown and I had a massive relapse with the anorexia and the bulimia. Like it was just, it was really bad. Um, and I felt in a way that like my relationship with social media was really mirroring my relationship with my eating disorder in that I was like, this is really harming me. This is making me so unhappy and I can't stop. And I suppose they were both nearly like forms of self-harm, you know? Um, and once I started, I went into recovery um, like proper full recovery in sort of 2017 and then like a few months I suppose maybe I don't know how long afterwards um I was like I can't I can't I mean if I'm making a concentrated effort to recover and to heal this can't be part of my life anymore I mean I've experienced like a tiny tiny bit of what you're discussing I've written about sexual violence before just in articles and you know you get inundated with these vile messages people um but I guess I wonder with fiction what is it that is their big bugbear because with me it was like you're lying you're making this up you know how dare you you're so pathetic but with fiction is it like do you think they conflate fan like fiction with reality and I think if it had just been the novel, it might have been easier. But, you know, I also had the documentary and then I also had a column and it was the same. You know, it was funny. I was I was talking about this recently because I, I was giving a speech and I hadn't realized that it was going to be um, used on social media afterwards. And I actually said to them, I was like, can you not put it on social media? And they said, you know, why? And I said, because the last time I said, I've become really careful about sharing my own personal story. Because I said that last time I did it, it was it was the same thing. It was, you're a liar. This never happened. And I suppose it's so invalidating, number one. I really have felt this so strongly, like in the last few years following Me Too. There's something so grotesque in the way in which women's stories have been used for content or entertainment. And it's almost like, you know okay, well, we've heard this story. So now this story has to be, you know, even worse. And, you know, it's not enough that you were, you know, raped at a party. Now it has to be, you know, you know, like everything just feels like it has to be even more heightened because people become so desensitized to these stories that like they need it to become, you know, as I said, more gory or more just traumatic. And and I don't know, like I just wish like that sometimes that that you could say you should be able to have empathy And you should be able to understand that rape is wrong. You should be able to understand that, you know, a culture that normalizes or, um, I don't know, like like ridicules rape is wrong. And you shouldn't need women to cut open barely healed wounds to bleed in front of you to think, oh, wow, oh, you're human too. Mm. Yeah. Sorry, and I'm very, very, very passionately about this. No, so, so do I, so do I, and that's what it is. And I think I think actually what's really interesting is, you know, just hearing you say the word rape so many times, I think that is a really strong word, mm-hmm. that if you ask anyone, is rape wrong? They're going to say yes, you know? Yeah. But actually, if you take the amount of people who can describe what, what does rape look like, yeah. what is it? They would give you a very warped, very simplistic man yes. drags women down the alleyway yes. kind of story, which is what, you know, I think I was certainly raised to to think that that is what it is. And obviously that's not the case. Um, but the problem is so often, unless you have been sexually assaulted or someone you know has been sexually assaulted, 
or you've watched shows like I May Destroy You or, yeah. you know, or you've, you know, read your book or engaged with popular culture in that way, you're not going to know. Mm. And it's it's a real it's a real problem. And that's why I think there is this really like aggressively strong reaction to it. And it's it's so um, it's so bleak <laughs> that we're still yeah. there <laughs> yeah. in 2022. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Any time that there has been any sort of forward momentum in the feminist movement, there has been this sort of, I think, very quick attempt to sort of stabilize or to equalize the, um, or, you know, the, the status quo. Because as soon as Me Too happened, we were barely given a few months <laughs> before people started saying, do you think it's gone too far? And like, it feels like a witch hunt. And, you know, you know what happened to, um, oh, you know, Innocent Until Proof? You know, it just felt like it was, it was a very quick um, I think rebuttal to it and now you know as I said it's it's very clear that we are watching an attempt to completely silence um, Me Too and to completely reverse um, any of the of, of the progress that has been made and I mean you can see that so clearly in the states um, with the um, with Roe v Wade um, being overturned um, but you know particularly with the um, Amber Heard and and Johnny Depp case which I found very unsettling. Um, and I think that the reason why I found it so unsettling is because so much of it is really predicated. So much of the backlash, I think, to that was very much predicated on her not being a perfect victim. And I didn't grow up with abuse in my immediate family, but there was some quite close to me. And the, the, honestly, the way it was discussed was always she gives as good as she as she takes and you know she's as bad as him and they're just both very fiery and I think it was only really as an adult that I could look back and think no that wasn't like that's just not right not not you know and I'm not going to go into details but like you know what I saw I'm like that 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 wasn't right what happened there um and I suppose it has really made me think around who we decide is worthy of sympathy and who we decide is worthy of being believed and because, I mean, look, it's fine. You might not like Amber Heard. I mean, I don't know her personally, but like, it's fine not to think she's a bit of a dick or to think she's an asshole or to think, you know, whatever you want. But that doesn't negate her experience of um, of abuse. And I suppose with um, After the Silence, which was my book before Idol, it's about course of control and 
it's a thriller, but like there's kind of elements of course of control. And I did a lot of work with the West Cork Women Against Violence Project. And it was a re- it was really eye-opening actually, because this was they talked a lot about like reactive abuse, um, where someone who's abused will will fight back. And how often that attempt to fight back is used against them, is sort of used as proof that, you know, as I said, that they're both as bad as each other. And I think what's really interesting at that time, there was a phrase that a lot of people were banding around, just like mutual abuse. And mm. a lot of people I spoke to, because, you know, this is one of those very rare yes. uh, cases of violence against women where actually a lot of people are engaging with it, but in a way that is very much not the way that is that you would hope that they would be engaging with it kind of watching it as sport um yes but they were banding around this phrase mutual abuse and people would just say oh you know I think they both were as bad to each other as you know and they would say she's awful he's awful and and like like you said she wasn't this perfect victim because you know maybe she lied maybe she was a bit of an asshole maybe she did this that doesn't mean that she still can't be a victim of domestic yeah. abuse yeah and that's that like you said like unless she's cutting herself bleeding on the stand mm. no one's going to look at her and think you're a victim because mm-hmm. i was just about to mention like you know the very credible um allegations of abuse against Brad Pitt um you know towards Angelina Jolie and i think it's really easy to dismiss this as celebrity gossip but I actually think the way in which we interact with celebrity gossip tells us so much about where we are as a society it's like if it can happen to a woman like you know let's say Angelina Jolie who you think has incredible you know wealth and and privilege and resources I mean it can happen to anyone I think that violence Mm -hmm. against women gendered violence it just it it knows you know no class no race um you know there's kind of no sector of society that it, that isn't that mm. isn't impacted by it yeah i think the way that you address it in idol is really interesting because i know that the plot was kind of loosely inspired by something that lena dunham said a few mm. years ago wasn't it yeah i mean i remember when Lena released Lena, my friend Lena. Um, we're on our first name, we're on our first name basis. Um, when Lena released her uh, collection of essays, there was an essay in it. I think I'm trying to remember what year that was. Was it 2013? Um, so she released this collection of essays, and in it there was one where she talked about when she was a child, when she was eight, and her sibling was maybe one, two, and um, Lena spread open her sibling's vagina to to look inside. And the reaction to this essay, like pretty much everything that Lena Dunham says or does, was like incredibly divisive, you know? So you had one sort of half of the internet saying, this is just kids being kids, and you know, it's sort of normal, you know, developmental behavior. And then you had the other half of the internet saying, this is abuse and she should be in jail. And like both were so adamant that their side was the white one. And I think there was just something in it where I thought, God, it's so interesting that like, because it's just, it's it's the same passage on, on, on the page. It's the same words and the way in which people interpret that in such wildly different ways. And I suppose over the last number of years, like particularly since 2016, the idea of truth has become very malleable you know it's sort of like your truth and my truth and which is something that Samantha kind of constantly says in Idol well this is this is my truth and her mother says at one point well if it's not the truth you know then then what is the point um and then I think after asking for it was released and as I said there were so many people who 
came up to me and wanted to share their stories with me. Like sometimes, you know, if I was on a panel, there was three of us at the signing queue afterwards. Mine would always take about like an hour longer than everybody else's because people would want that kind of moment of saying, you know, this happened to me. I was so struck by the amount of people who would say, you know, who would tell me this terrible story and then would say something like, but the worst thing is, is that I don't think the other person sees what happened as assault or as rape. And which is, I suppose that was quite, that felt very close to the home from my own experience. And I think I kept thinking about that idea that you could have two people that go into a room together. And when those two people leave, that one of, one of them might never think about what happened there ever again. And for the other person, that it could be one of the most traumatic, devastating experiences of their entire life. And you really see that with Idol, with like, you know, you have Samantha and you have Lisa, these two best friends. And that night that they spent together, like in Samantha's eyes, it was, you know, the sexual awakening, like the time that she felt closest to Lisa. And for Lisa, it has been just this hole in the center of her that she has never been able to fill since. And this was so much of when we talk about these stories, like when we talked about Amber Heard and Johnny Depp or, or like Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie is who do we choose to believe? And I think it says so much about us, not just as people, but as a society at whole, about who we choose to believe. It's interesting that it's it's two women in the book because you kind of automatically erase those obvious power dynamics because it's like traditionally when you talk about this, it's it's male perpetrator, female survivor. Um, and with this, there are power dynamics there because of their various roles and their careers. You know, Samantha is a successful influencer and Lisa is a stay-at-home mom, essentially. And they have these kind of, I, I guess, the optics would be that Samantha is in a greater position of power and, I guess, maybe autonomy. Um, so perhaps that's one power dynamic and way of looking at it. Um, but it's interesting that you haven't got a man and a woman here. And I think, you know, if we're going to have these conversations and because you're writing about it from Samantha's point of view, it's almost like if we're going to have these conversations about sexual violence and we're going to try and move forward to a point where we do reduce, the mm. incident, we do prevent these things from happening. We need to be talking not just to survivors, but to perpetrators. And that's really difficult because it's like, how do we do that without undermining the experiences of survivors and also I guess getting perpetrators to recognize themselves as perpetrators because really actually how many alleged rapists are going to say yeah I'm a rapist uh, it's such a good question uh, I suppose the first part of that that I will say is that the the choice to have two women at the heart of this story was very deliberate firstly I suppose because I love writing you know those kind of quite obsessive teenage friendships between girls um because I suppose that I went to an all-girls school so like that dynamic is is <laughs> it's very familiar to me um but secondly I suppose after my experience of of writing asking for it um and whenever I felt like we were trying to have nuanced conversations about sexual violence or against you know a, a, um violence as a whole I, f I felt as if they it very quickly sort of fell apart and there were just a lot of accusations of man-hating and, and misandry and I think that doesn't really take into consideration that of course there are male survivors of um, sexual and uh, domestic violence but 
the majority of the of the perpetrators are male um, and I think unless we can sort of have an honest conversation about that it's very difficult to move that forward but in idol I think I wanted to have a quite a clear-eyed look at these issues, like you know, this this idea that you know false rape claims are very prevalent, or um, or I think those kind of clashing memories that Lisa um, and Sam have, and I thought it would be more interesting, but also just more straightforward in a way if I could remove um, gender from that dynamic. And I really loved your your question about, I suppose, how do we move forward. Um, and you're right. And, and you said this already, you know, you said rape is such a strong word. And I think that's very true. I think a lot of people who have been raped don't, you know, either don't see it as rape or will say I was assaulted. Um, and I definitely think that the people who have perpetrated those the, those crimes, that many of them do not see it in that way. And, and actually, that's not always there. I mean, I think because a lack of education um, and this sort of portrayal of rape, as you said, again, you know, like in a, in a dark alleyway at, at knife point, that when it is something that happens in a room at a party with two people who know each other um, and there's a lot of drink taken and, and, and that maybe someone says no and, and someone else kind of ignores that. It's actually can be very difficult for the two people involved in that scenario to even understand what happened in that room as sexual violence. And I think that this squeamishness around talking about sex, the squeamishness about talking about rape culture, particularly in Ireland, where there is still not, you know, a um, a comprehensive, inclusive sex education in all schools, you know, regardless of uh, religious orientation, it's really failing. I think those young people to sort of give them the tools that they will need to navigate. Um, but with I think it was after silence. I I came I I became really interested in the idea of restorative justice. Often, you know, I think people are kind of uncomfortable with the idea of restorative justice because they feel as if it's letting abusers off the hook. Um, and of course, then there are legitimate concerns when it comes to the safety of survivors um, and the comfort and safety um, of the survivor in that situation is always that has to come first. And not every survivor is going to want to have that conversation or wants to be part of that conversation or, you know, is anyway comfortable with the idea of restorative justice. But actually for a lot of people, and so many of them didn't want their partner or the father of their child to go to jail. They just wanted the abuse to stop. And if they could have seen a way forward where, you know, the person learned some sort of, I suppose, a mechanisms to control their own behavior uh, and could you know be reintegrated back into the family unit and that they could move forward without this kind of you know as a specter of fear and violence hanging over them all the time but a lot of them would have really loved that mm-hmm. and then for others i think often they say all i want is an acknowledgement all i want is an acknowledgement of what happened to me because the denial of it and the gaslighting, which I think is a really overused term, but I think it's it's the the invalidation of our experiences. Yeah. It just feels like another layer of trauma on top of everything that we've experienced um, so yeah. far. So I think the education of young people, particularly young men, I think is going to be key in trying to make this shift over the next generation. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, I often say, like, you know, in Ireland, you know, we have the jail time for people who have committed these kind of crimes is 
can often feel like devastatingly minimal for people who've gone through the judicial system. And I often say, if these people are going to be back on our streets within two or three years, how do we want them to reintegrate into society? Mm. Do we want, I suppose, him to reoffend, or do we want to take steps to ensure that the, the the risk of that is as low as we can sort of attempt to make it? And I think that really is at the core um, of restorative justice as well. Mm. It's so interesting what you were saying just about the 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 desire for validation because I mm. think it's actually such a simple thing, yeah. but really that's what undercuts all of this because like you said there are so many instances where you will feel violated by something and you don't know if you have the right to feel violated by it and so that's another like you said it's another level of trauma where you're questioning your own recollection you're questioning your own memories you're questioning your own sanity and it's like all you want is for someone to just turn around the person who did it to you that's really yeah the only thing that's gonna that's gonna do it is to say this happened and I suppose the hard thing about that is that, and like I think you really see that with Samantha and Idol, is that we all think of ourselves as good people. Exactly. And I think when someone comes to you and says, you have done this to me, this has caused me enormous harm. Often I think people's reaction is to get completely, like get so defensive. And it's easier to say you're a liar because I think actually like, that 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 idea of of um I suppose I don't know sort of like unpicking that way in which we view ourselves or something that comes along and contradicts our idea of ourselves as a good person can actually be so incredibly destabilizing that I think for the person themselves that it is easier just to say no you're you're a liar and I think it's really and I suppose again and I, I'm doing a lot of work with restorative justice Ireland um this kind of lobby group here. And it's not perfect and it's not for everyone. Um, and I think it'd be really simplistic to say this is, you know, the kind of the silver bullet. Um, but I think for a lot of people, there is healing in it. That's all we've got time for for today. Thank you, everyone, uh, for listening. If you are a new listener to Millennial Love, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast or wherever else you get your podcasts. Please do comment and leave us a rating too so that more people can find us. And if you are more of a visuals kind of person, you can now watch Millennial Love on independent TV and you can keep up to date with everything to do with the show on Instagram. Just search Millennial Love. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.